Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. First pod we've done since Dead's been caught on fire. Yes, uh, and you know, I, I know all six of you that listened to this probably assumed that we were going to do a podcast about Dead's been, but you know, we're really we're about switching things up and, and not ever giving you exactly what you expect here. So we're going to go for uh, lighter fare, uh, yes, like having the power to send someone to prison. Yes, uh, yeah, I mean. I think there's there's a theme there that we're not even realizing, which is Deadspin, uh, Deadspin effectively ended. The Nats won the World Series, and I was given more power than I should ever have. I'm pretty sure the world's coming to an end. California is – well, actually, that's not fair. California is always burning, but it's burning pretty badly right now. Yeah, uh, if you if you have seen pigs or perhaps thirty to fifty feral hogs flying, uh, do do let us know. Hit us up at Pretty Okay Pod on the the tweet machine. Uh, we would we would love to you know make some preparations if that is the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, no, we're we're uh, we're we're not kidding. You you were recently in a situation where you had uh, more power than. Uh, than most people typically do. So why don't why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about that? Because I'm sure we'll have plenty of questions. But let's let's let you cook for a second first. Well, well, you know, I was given a lot of power, but if you live in really any municipality, and I guess are a citizen, um, you are able to serve that municipality in the form of jury duty. Oh. Um, and jury duty is kind of fascinating, as I as I learned. It is not like on TV, and I can't stress that enough. Everyone will say to you that watching court proceedings is not like television, and it is so very different. Um, and especially things like jury selection you don't see on TV because it can be very boring and uncomfortable, and not an uncomfortable in the way of like, whoa, I wonder who did it. So much of it is not about who did it it is a lot about what happened um and you start to realize that you have a very important position as the the public in the room and i actually was i had the occasion to be at my friend danny who's been on this podcast before uh she and her roommates housewarming this this weekend and there were a lot of lawyers there and some of whom were working in the district attorney's office and they bristled at someone mentioning, like, oh, you're out trying to, to charge people. And I, just a quick example, realized that when you are sitting on a jury for a criminal trial, and civil cases are slightly different, I was on a criminal trial, you are important as the public because you've got an individual uh, in their interpretation of the law. And then you have the community in the form of the Commonwealth's attorney, the district attorney whatever the case may be. So it really is competing, not really competing sides, but 
slightly different sides of the same issue, which is this thing happened in, in our community. Uh, one of us is representing the person who is alleged to have done this this thing, and the other is saying, well, I represent the community, and these are the community standards as we have interpreted. And I, in the pu- as the public, as part of a jury of 12, um, have to decide, well, what is the public's view on this, given the facts we have in front of us? And that's not how it feels on TV. I feel like half the time the jury is just kind of there to, to fill the space or you have something that is 12 angry men. And it's been a long time since <laughs> I've seen this. Uh, I was fortunately on a much more diverse jury. But uh, also that's just not not how it plays out. Yeah, it does. It feels a lot when you watch your law and orders. And, and frankly, even to a certain extent, when you watch uh, documentaries – that involve court proceedings like mm-hmm. you know you're there to to like be the people that gasp at the prescribed time uh but i mean frankly a lot of crime is pretty mundane uh and and court proceedings involve a lot of stuff that is not like high stakes closing arguments so no uh was there anything Which, I, at all I, I, that resembled what we might think of like as our our kind of defining societal portrait of a courtroom was there uh, a lot of banging the, the little hammer no, and yelling no, order I, order I, in the court no a, a gavel Did was, that happen was at never all? a gavel was never struck to the best oh, of my I'd knowledge be, oh i'd be so oh, that's <laughs> but so there, disappointing. There, all, there also just weren't there really weren't many people in the courtroom that didn't have to be there sure uh there were some I don't want to call them spectators, but there were some people that I think were affiliated with the defendants. And there were some people from, like, the sheriff's office who showed up. And that was, you know, kind of curious. So that was that was, that was was fine. But there just weren't any people there. And there wasn't a lot of vitriol or excitement that, that would have come. Um, <clears throat> there were two defendants, and one of them was acquitted, but there was no celebration. It wasn't, you know... I think OJ-esque or anything like that. Um, But it was very, very subdued. It was really just us interpreting as as the the public. Um, You do have, you obviously have lawyers going back and forth and you have objections, way more objections than you get on TV. And there were always these sidebar discussions kind of talking about um, you know what can be presented as evidence, and there there were also you know opening statements and closing statements or closing arguments, but those are weird because they are not evidence. It's really just telling you, okay, you saw all this stuff, but this is what you're thinking about it, right? And so you have to kind of ignore those to an extent. It is to be persuasive, but you've gotten all the facts. It's just kind of like a refresher, a reminder, and as a jury, you go back and, and get those. Um, anyways, but I think the central thing to, in, in a lot of ways, to take away from this, and Sean, I kind of talked to you about this, thinking about how to describe it. But you have this 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 subject, which is the the jury. You're competing to present mm-hmm. the facts to the the jury, um, and the way. The way this works is you have the the lawyers of the the two sides, and they are both approaching, working on these juries. Um, And 
it's different than say like a boxing match where where you're fighting one another and you're you're dealing with with uh you know punching each other because you're you're kind of punching each other through this other thing um there's another entity that you're competing with but but are using in your competition but also you're getting called out for rules constantly you have the other side saying you can't do that basically or i object to the your approach to this it's almost if there was competitive ice carving where where you both are kind of chipping away at the block and the other person then has to chip away like you're making some you know masterpiece out of it but then you have a judge who comes in and said or even the other side and says you know actually you can't make that cut because we're only using this knife or chisel at the time. So I think, Sean, we kind of came to it's in some ways like gymnastics because you do a routine and then you let people know ahead of time what you're going to do because all the evidence has to be shared. Right. And then you have to judge on how well you executed that. Um, the only difference to that and why I think it might be more like pool is the move that the other person makes – you have to respond to, and they can kind of go on a run until they scratch or they miss a ball. So, what about chess then? I, I, chess is, I think, a good um, item as well. Uh, I think it's it's kind of stayed comparatively, whereas you you have uh, it is quick paced to trial, or it can be. Um, and you also have other people judging. I mean, pool, I know you don't have other people judging, but the, the way that the table is moving is, I think, more similar to, to what you see in a courtroom. Um, and obviously in pool, you don't necessarily have a judge, so gymnastics works there. I think chess chess seems to be so... I, I think that there's a, an intellectualism to understand it in, in certain ways, whereas pool and gymnastics, I kind of I kind of get it a little bit more, even though gymnastics, I, I've never twirled or anything like that. And, and the law, here's the thing, is the law, you should kind of instinctively be able to, to get it because it is the law of your community. And that's part of what, even though you have rules, you have jury instructions, you are interpreting it as a member of the community. And so... If that's not how the community interprets it, then that's what the law is. It's the way that the community interprets or the, the public. I mean, I, for one, am very surprised to hear that you haven't twirled before. Um, yeah. The other the other thing that the like rules challenges made me think of is actually Scrabble, where, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there are rules and there there is a, a body of allowed words that one can play. Uh, but you can also play other things and if no one challenges you on them they're okay yeah. uh, but if you get called on them that's when you have to go to the rule book and say is you know kaflarf actually a word it's yeah. not oh okay well i guess then i have to you know i have to forfeit my turn or whatever um <clears throat> so i i think that one of the biggest things that you, I, I think, have maybe briefly alluded to, but certainly have talked about with us before uh, in talking about your time on a jury that we don't get to see when we're watching Law & Order is the jury selection process. Yes. So so let's let's maybe redirect there. T- take us through yeah. like what happens when you're waiting to find out if you're going to be part of a jury. 
Mm-hmm. So you you've cross examined and or I've cross examined and now you're redirecting because that is how these these things go. Uh, there's direct cross examination, redirect. So the way jury duty works is you have the Commonwealth going first, defining followed by the defendant's attorneys, and they after the judge. So the judge starts out and asks some general questions across the board about you, which are just kind of who you are and maybe some high level things about if you know what's going on with the case Mm -hmm. um it might be are you familiar with this neighborhood are you familiar with a crime that occurred at this time uh things like that making sure that you you don't know also do you have any anything that you would impede you from being at trial for the week and they they give you kind of an estimation there so you go through that stuff which is basically can can you be here and are relatively unfamiliar with the matter um, then you have the, the the attorney for the Commonwealth, your municipality, whatever it is, and then you have the the defendant's attorneys, um, and they ask you some more uh, specific questions. If a crime occurred with this implement, would you be would you be biased to you know would you be biased? Like if someone commits a crime with a gun, are you more likely to to take it more seriously or gauge it differently than it was a knife? Um, you know, getting at your biases that, that would exist, you know, have you, are you an attorney in any way or how do you feel about the police? Do you think that the police are always doing wrong? Uh, or do you think that the police are without wrong because that's the nature of their work and things like that? So it really gets into, are you going to be able to do this even handed in an unbiased way? And some people get very uncomfortable, and they'd have to go up there and have a sidebar because they need to disclose stuff that they didn't feel comfortable with, you know, 20 other people in the room. And, and that's basically how it works is they line you all up. Uh, they call you randomly from your big selection pool, and then you go sit in the room, and then they even call you up in that room with some alternates, and they start asking you questions, and each side gets to strike, like, five people uh, from from that. So I was actually the last selection of the jury it was i was number 14 and then there were two alternates within our group but we didn't know we were alternates until we went to deliberations um so <laughs> to give to, to to give a little game um an easy way to get out of the the jury which you can actually do there is to say it depends all the time would you be biased if this was a, a gun crime would you be more likely to to see it as more serious and not be as uh, even-handed and if you say pro- probably they'll and, and if you have discussion if you give what i think are pretty honest answers but it's stuff you just don't say because like well i don't know i've never thought about it before but if you indicate that it it helps there was a question that was asked and it was um do any of you have strong views about uh gun control and they like started to ask a person and they're like wait a second do any of you feel strongly about people having the right to own a gun it's important that this was arlington and a couple of people spoke up and um two of those three people ended up not being on the jury (laughs) um actually no only one of them but it was is an interesting group of of people but so they they ask questions like that because it'll pertain to the case but they're very not specific about the case they just want to know if you are here are you going to be able to do this without egregious bias fair enough uh i mean did you at any point feel like you couldn't be a fair juror no i i don't 
I don't think so. I mean, the nature the nature of the case, or at least as as I knew then, the nature of the case. I'm like, oh, okay. If it's a if it's a even if it's a gun crime of some sort, I feel like I can think about this as a member of the the general public and be even handed about the way I think about it. Okay, uh, Max, you have any questions you want to contribute? Uh, I'm curious if you could just t- if you could tell us more about the whole the case itself. I'm I'm oh, kind of fascinated about that. Maybe a, a brief. Do they do those? Is that br- a brief? That's a lawyer term, right? <laughs> they, they, yeah, they'll they'll do a brief. This is usually not the kind that gets a, a give brief. us the amicus curiae or whatever. That's, that, that's is not di- that is that is different. <laughs> that is friend of the court. Um, so there was a meeting of two group. Two groups of people, one group of three was in a car, two were on foot on a sidewalk after two other people, you know, representing one of each group, had just bumped into each other basically in a convenience store. And they go outside, and the people who are on foot approach the car after seeing kind of who's in the car and stuff. Um, they, one of the people who was on the, the street um, brandished a weapon uh or we found brandished a weapon and then some block and a half up from that spot we saw that on on video and a block and a half up on the spot we, from there we learned from police officers eyewitnesses not affiliated eyewitnesses in the car that there was a shooting um and uh we saw bullet holes in in the car um we heard about we saw uh casings on the ground we heard from two people who were in the area when it happened again that were not affiliated about who they saw doing what um and then we also heard from people up the street when the people who uh were shooting were chased after by the people in the car um now the the thing is is we had to decide for the depend for the defendants did one of these defendants one specifically did they uh, did they do this act, which is being alleged, which is attempted malicious wounding um, within a thousand feet of a school with a firearm? Um, and did this other person uh, aid them, which is called doing the same stuff, but a principal in the second degree? What we ended up finding is that um, the person who we saw brandishing the, the, the weapon to the car, we found... Um, we found that them guilty of all the charges. We were beyond a reasonable doubt. We thought that they they did the what was charged, um, but we didn't have enough evidence to find that the the other person was a principal in the second degree. And the thing that happens in these trials is you get a lot of evidence about the care. You sometimes you're not supposed to, but you end up getting evidence of the character of these people that are involved and the character of the people on the other side. Maybe they did something wrong. And there's, 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 uh, you know, a lot of thoughts going on and it is important. It's so important that you, you presume innocence. So as you get in the room and I remember we really dealt with this when you get in a room and you're considering it, you have all these instructions and it says, okay, if you, if you see this, okay, you, you say the act happened, but it's, you know, act, they attempted to do this thing. They had intent in that attempt, and then they have to do it. And then it was intended with malice. Those were like the four things we had to walk through to to have this charge. And you really got to think about what you see. And and you get in there, and people are like, well, they mentioned this other thing, and whatever. Um, and how does that affect it? But you know, when you're presuming 
innocence, it's really important to go through it logically and think about what you've seen and what you've touched and what you've you've read as, as you're going through. And um, that's it was really tiring to think about all that because I didn't I didn't see it from start to finish, but I had to interpret what members of the community and such were telling me. Okay. And I'm glad that you mentioned you were tired. I don't know, Sean, I don't know if you have any specific questions on the story, because I kind of want to go in a different direction now. I don't know that I have another question necessarily. I mean, I want to hear more about the deliberation process. Mm -hmm. Obviously, without, you know, revealing the actual deliberations, because I'm pretty sure you can't do that. But, like, I, I do think that's something that maybe gets lost for outside observers, which is that you're not... uh you're not ruling on the character of this person. And when you're in a criminal situation, you're not even saying, well, we think he probably did it. Like you have to prove or not you as a juror, because you're not, you know, you're an observer, but you have to determine basically whether the, Mm -hmm. the state or the municipality or whatever the, the governmental, the prosecuting body has proved Beyond yeah. a reasonable doubt, you used that phrase, which, which is really important, yeah. that all of these conditions have been met. And if mm-hmm. some of those conditions haven't been met, like it doesn't matter if you think someone did that shit. Like if they, you're supposed to, you know, find not guilty if they didn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, and it, yeah, and kind of to the deliberations part. Yeah, I. The important thing, because the two other charges, one was was a firearm discharged in the course of this crime. Well, and then the other one was the fact that it was within a thousand feet of the school. That's its own crime. So we had to do this big one of this malicious wounding. And it's, I mean, like I said, it was, we had to say, did this act occur? Yeah, we're pretty sure this, this we, we know this act occurred. Did, was it, a, it, you know, did they attempt to shoot? Yeah. But you get into these questions of was the attempt done with an intent to uh, permanently disfigure, maim, disable, and then you get on that malice. And don't things like inter- things like intent and malice, there's an instruction we had on what that meant. So we, we sat there. We had to think about, okay, this is what intent means, the natural and probable outcome of an action. We had to really think about that and what that means and what it meant to us in the room. And think about what that meant to the people who weren't in the room but were part of us being there, the rest of the municipality. That's what got tiring and what to, and hard kind of to the to thing you mentioned, Max, which is looking through all the instructions. And we all knew the evidence, but thinking about what we saw and how it related to what these words meant. And I know we talk about it all the time on here, but you know, words mean a lot and and, you know, it goes beyond the character stuff and whatever. And, and that's something I reflect on a lot is, you know, what is the scope of what we're being asked here? It's being asked to take what we, what we saw and what we see is the truth and mesh it with these words, which are, are the law. Um, and that's, that's a taxing process, not just because of what we know, what it means in the end, which is someone's life is going to be changed one way or the other, but, but also, and more importantly, just sitting there and, and really thinking about that, because that's not something anyone in there does for a day job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
that actually led right into my next question because it's pretty far off, but you talked about your day job and yeah. tired. Um, this whole process lasted a week. Is that right? A week, yes. And and you do have a, a, a job. Yes. And so were you working while you were doing this? Uh, I did some work in the evenings and, and before. And like when we had breaks, I would answer texts and stuff from, from work. Because um, we did have with all the legal questions you're being asked in sidebars and trying to get witnesses and everything again it's not like tv it does take a long time to do a lot of this stuff uh i had breaks and stuff but yeah i mean i was friday after afterward i was like i can't do this i mean i deliberated for space i don't know four to six hours and i didn't have i couldn't go back to work after that now fortunately if you're ever called to serve it legally your employer cannot fire or reprimand you for um for being on a jury but uh you know if you've got stuff coming up they are understanding if you need to make um considerations and be exempt but yeah it took a week away it's a lot i just think like because i I don't know you keep talking about it's like a world of your you know the jury is supposed to be your peers and it's the community but i i just don't get the sense that I don't get the sense that it's that there's some there's equality in that. I don't get the sense that everyone can participate equally. I mean, does everyone? Yeah. I, I guess you just said you can't be fired for it, so maybe they can. Well, and, like, and, so, it's and a also, lot easier for some people to take a week off work than others, right? And also, yeah. just because yeah. it's it, just because it's illegal for your employer to you know fire or reprimand you for it doesn't mean that employers aren't going to try to do it. I mean, so yeah. basically, right. you know what I what I've gathered from you know. Uh, two-thirds of a media law and ethics course that deals heavily with the first amendment is like our laws are not self-executing so like if you don't know if you don't know that your employer can't fire you and they fire you if you don't you know if you don't sue them for that there's there's no remedy and just like that's So, so I mean, I think you're right. I, I think you're right that it's hard to ensure that there actually is a jury of one's peers. You mm-hmm. know, it just. Uh, I mean, if you if you want to see a real slice of your community or a different slice than you're seeing, I, I live in a I live in a bubble. I work in the job that I work with. I'm around people that I'm in. It's you know the, of a of a certain age of a certain you know demographic everything like that so i saw this broader view but then quite frankly the the people that were witnesses uh the neighborhood this was this the crime occurred in um the defendants these are people that i don't see every day and you talk about the the self-execution and being in a you know being in a job where i can't i i really know that i can send in and people will understand what's going on that i have a phone for that i had a commute you know computer to go home to and work on the people who were that lives are really depending on this case um uh, that's not their reality um now most of the people on the jury were not dissimilar to me there were actually a lot of older folks on there that i think were retired um but you know arlington is a very privileged place but not the whole thing and we're a fairly privileged set of people is being asked to interpret a world that we don't necessarily delve into very often and that stark contrast was something that was 
on a meta level apparent to me the whole time, which is there were more than one of the witnesses that came in uh, currently incarcerated. Um, we learned that the person who was convicted was previously incarcerated and is 26 years old and has already been in prison for a while and is going to go to prison for a while again. And so, uh, you know, these are the things that that are hard but also inescapable, inescapable which is, yeah, I'm very privileged to, to be able to serve on a jury and serve my community, but also I am just reiterating the divides that exist. And that's hard, but at the same time, what are you going to do? I, I will say that we were as lenient as we could have been in the uh, sentencing because you do – you decide did this crime occur and then you have separate – you have the sentencing. You don't know about the other when, when you're going in there and you kind of throw up your hands and say, well, there's not, there's not much we can do. And you also reflect. It's like, wow, we're being really – you know, we're being as lenient as we can be. What, what is the rest of the community going to think? Are they going to be if – if you opened up your paper and saw this crime occurred and the person is, quote, unquote, only going to, to prison for, for so long, would you be aghast at that? Would you be like, oh, I don't want my children living in a place that, that does this, that only puts criminals, felons in, in jail for so long? But at the same time, you know, if you have that opinion, you have time to sit at your table and read the paper or your computer and whatever else. And some people are – a lot of people are not in that position. And that, that really hit me when I was doing the trial. Yeah. I mean I think I think you took something good from it, which is just a reminder always to think about the things that you take for granted and to not take them for granted. You know? That's it's a we we joked at the top about you having a lot of power in that situation, but really yeah. what you have is a lot of responsibility. Yeah. You know? And I mean, you deal with one which is this thing occurred, we know that it occurred. That can't you can't just if you shoot at people in broad daylight near school, that's not okay. I mean, that's kinda how you think sure. that's not okay. And and we gotta Gotta set you back a little bit and think about that. But at the same time I mean you also have the prison? Right. You have the responsibility to determine how completely someone's life is gonna be ruined, basically. Yeah. And if the idea going very far away from the the, the penitentiary to repent to, to repent, you know, this Quaker idea that is you know, really in the fabric of, of our nation, if you go to Eastern State Penitentiary in, in Philadelphia, they, they talk about that. Um, we're so far removed from that. We just we just create this greater and greater divide by putting people in penitentiaries, prisons. Mm-hmm. And people get out and you've got this, you know, this mark upon you. And, you, I mean, you want to talk about getting fired or not being able to get jobs. I can't even imagine that. So – what do you how how can you actually be rehabilitated i don't know but i had as you said the responsibility to look at the facts in front of me and progress from there and i didn't really have a lot of options yeah so. yeah i mean and, and it's it's fair that it's not it's not the job of a jury in any one trial to fix the criminal justice system either so you know no. you you work within the system that you have and then once you're done 
well, you go to a concert with me, but then after that, then you can, you know, do whatever work it is you're going to do to, to fix the system. Like, uh, is that, is that something, I guess this feels like maybe a place where we should leave off. It's like, is that something that you, now that you've actually been a part of seeing how that works, like, has that galvanized you at all to want to fix those systems? Um, I think it, I think it's important to go to jury duty and sometimes it might take longer, but a case as serious as this one, because you see who is there and you end up learning about, you know, the, the communities they're in, which might be very different than yours, even though it's part of your greater community. Sure. Um, and you under it's really easy to say like, oh, well, yeah, recidivism happens or yeah, people should go to prison for a while. But then when you're really faced with it and thinking about what this means and, and how how limited leniency or is in, in whatever you do, how kind of rational the progression of it all is, something's written down and that's the way we have to do it. Um, I definitely have a greater appreciation for when they talk about progressive um, – attorney's offices i mean commonwealth attorney district attorney whatever you have because they really do have a lot of power to represent the community and rethink how we deal with when crimes crimes are always occurring but that doesn't mean we have to be so draconian in how we 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 punish them so thinking of it in terms of some things are rather inescapable but how do we make how do we do a better job of promoting and empowering people even if they make a mistake even if they make more than one mistake Mm -hmm. but the the vicious cycle of of it all which i kind of saw firsthand that's just wholly and completely devastating because i can't i don't know what i can do um other than what i did and even that i didn't have much of a much time to ad lib. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to go be on a jury and I'll pay a lot more attention to Commonwealth attorney races and stuff like that now. And I should say one more thing. And I think this is maybe the most important and saddening thing, which is the Commonwealth attorney was, was spot on really great. I looked him up afterwards. Seems to be a very up and coming person. Defense attorneys, you have to hire or are provided for you. And as with everything else in this nation and a lot of others, more money gets you more of something you want or need. Yeah. And that is the most heartbreaking part is seeing there and being a pretty rational, logical thinker to think, I wish you had a more rational and logical thinker with you because that could have made an immense difference in the course of the rest of your life, you having more funds available to you. And that's, yeah. that is the most devastating part. Yeah. The, the implicit additional count on your indictment of not having enough money to properly defend yep. yourself. Yep. Oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, w- this was this was one of our serious pods, uh, so 
let let's maybe try to overcorrect and and go back to the silly shit we usually do uh, and and uh, transition into Pierce's sorry. So uh, what are you apologizing for today? Oh, you know what? I'm gonna have to actually change uh, change what I was gonna do. We'll do we'll do the one I was gonna do next week, but I'll do one that is is me being an idiot, and we can enjoy that. Um, we talked about power here, and I think one of the first first ever expressions of of humankind's power that we that we use and talk about all the time is fire. Starting a fire that is what made us, you know, that's what gave us Billy Joel. That's what um, <laughs> I was waiting. I'm going to come um, over there and start a fire if you talk about yeah. that song again. So it's it's this advancement. It's it's us harnessing nature and and wielding it in a way that is powerful and useful for us. So yeah, everybody should know how to start a fire. You know, funny you should say that. I am a suburban kid who who tends to the urban portion of that, and I've never really started a fire before other than a candle. Um, so I, a couple weeks ago, went to a cabin and it had a fire pit outside and I said, oh, excellent. You know, I'll start a, start a fire. So the, so I, so I got, you know, the kindling stuff and the firewood and I had a lighter. So very easy. It's, I'm not really being asked to do a lot. Well, I failed to start a fire, but that's not really what I'm apologizing for. Cause I tried really hard. I, I, I tried everything, but my ignorance that I'm apologizing for is because I have never started fire before, I don't understand the quality of the ingredients, of the natural materials that I need to take over with. And it makes me think that there were probably a couple of attempts to start a fire, or at least replicate the lightning striking the wood so we knew that that started a fire. Um, because when you're going to buy firewood, and if the firewood is outside in a semi-covered um, gas station, you should consider the fact that it rained the day before, and that firewood is wet. <laughs> so I am apologizing for not considering the fact that it had rained on the wet on the wood, and you need dry wood to start a fire. So for those out, for those of you out there who are somewhat urban like myself, uh really think about what your the qualities of your ingredients need to be baba i don't think urban means you don't know the difference between wet and dry (laughs) (laughs) being being a dingus does it that's true uh (laughs) so don't be a dingus if you need to start a fire uh that that's good to know because emily and i will be going to uh a similar cabin uh yeah in a couple weeks, so uh, I'll try my best to remember not to buy fucking wet firewood. <laughs> uh. I mean, essentially, they were selling wet firewood, <laughs> so that was messed up, too. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, they were just hoping that some dingus would come along and say, oh, this looks like what I need. <laughs> and lo and behold, he arrived. Uh, okay. So let's uh, let's wrap up with a big idea from pop culture, um, and I mean, where do we go besides Baker Mayfield's get up uh, after the Cleveland Browns lost yet another game to the shit ass Broncos? Uh, you know, 
this is a team that came into the season with very big expectations uh, and has proceeded to just uh, drop a deuce all over them uh, by being a pretty bad football team. Uh, and after the game, uh, he, he talked to reporters in some sort of overcoat uh and a, a very bad mustache he almost looked like a kind of uh classy men's magazine version of bender from the breakfast club <laughs> uh yeah that uh for for those of you who are listening to the audio podcast uh someone <laughs> someone made it into him being uh Randy Marsh from South Park yeah. which actually kind of checks out um, it's a it's a pretty similar mustache. It's just like, you know, and, and people were kind of posting before and after shots with his, uh, with the actual like men's magazine photo shoots that he did before the season. I think he was maybe on the cover of ESPN magazine. Uh, and just, you know, in two months, the way the mighty, yeah. <clears throat> the way the mighty has fallen has been uh, pretty fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I, I know we, I know we don't, do, do we not like Will Brinson? Are we are we anti Will Brinson? Or am I thinking of someone different? Anyways, he posted something and it says Baker Mayfield is just Gardner Minshew, but with three kids in an office job. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I mean, very Vincent adult man. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> but not with that many kids stacked up because remember he's not very tall. You know, in his de- in his defense, uh, he he really is becoming a brown because he looks like someone from Cleveland, having spent a good good portion of my childhood uh, visiting people there. So, you know, it's, it's okay. He's becoming a loser real quick. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's rough out there if you're a Browns fan this year, um, as opposed to all those other years. <laughs> well, yeah, but this year. This year, you you got caught up in the unnecessary. You got caught up in the hype machine, uh, and now we live in a world where Baker Mayfield looks like a cross between Randy Marsh and John Bender, and the president is apparently now uh, looking into going to the LSU Alabama game on Saturday. So that's going to be a treat. <laughs> Yeah, we live in a world where a sitting president is just trying to find a sporting event where he won't be booed. He got like, uh, you know, and I'm willing to accept the idea that uh, the reception was more mixed than the Twitter videos made it seem. But the dude got booed in a UFC ring. Like, that's wild. It's it's amazing. Uh, So... Uh, you know, keep keep standing up to people that you think are are doing bad things. If you're at a sporting event, long live yep. Deadspin. Uh, that's that's the end of the show. Uh, yep. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Pretty OK Pod or at our home on the web www.prettyokpod.com. You can subscribe to our feed on your app and device of choice. If you do that, please do us a favor, leave a rating, review, comment, that sort of thing, or just tell a friend about the show. We'd love to share what we're doing with them as well. We'll be back again next week, as always, to talk about something else. Till then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. I'm Max. Thanks for listening. Bye.